At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snowett. Take a dose of every day. How am I supposed to stay in a world built on empty ways and the lessons of our lives? Thanks for downloading the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. This is Series 2, Episode 29, 50 Places to Fly Fish Before You Die with Conway Bowman. This is a book written by Chris Santella. You can get it online. It's kind of hard to find in the libraries now, as I found out yesterday. And Conway and I discuss how he went about filming this TV show. So far, he's only filmed 13 episodes, but I'm going to read you the destinations now. Uh, Number one, Alaska, Bristol Bay, rainbow trout, silver salmon around Bristol Bristol Bay. And that is recommended by Leon Gorman. So Chris interviewed people in each destination, like the local expert. Alaska Pacific Coast, Alaska Peninsula, silver salmon on Nakalak Bay, recommended by Tammy Korb. Argentina. Bariloche, landlocked salmon on Rio Truffoul, recommended by Ernie Schweibert or Ernest Schweibert. Argentina Corrientes, Golden Dorado on Estero Ibera, recommended by Craig Derby, or if he's English, Craig Darby. Argentina Tierra del Fuego, Sea Run Brown Trout on the Rio Grande, recommended by the photographer R. Valentine Atkinson, who I wish would do a social media campaign he really needs to be on instagram australia black marlin off kearns by billy pate 
seven. I'm not going to read the numbers anymore. Bahamas, Bonefish off North Andros Island, Brian O'Keefe. Brazil, Peacock Bass on the Rio Negro River by Pat Pendergrast. British Columbia, Bella Coola, Steelhead on the Dean River by Tony Hayes. British Columbia, Smithers, Steelhead on the Skeena River System, Lonnie Waller. And if you listen to the April Vokey, she has one podcast as of now, a great interview with Lonnie. The last 10 minutes, you will be on the edge of your seat when he tells the story. It is unbelievable. California Brown and Rainbow Trout around Greater Reading by Shane Colbeck and Mike Mercer. Mike Mercer is one of my all-time favorite tires. Chile Brown and Rainbow Trout off Chilean Fjords by John Eustace. Colorado. Brown and Rainbow Trout on the Gunnison River by Joseph Daniel. Cuba, Tarpon off Jardines de la Reina. And we all know we could be fishing in Cuba very shortly. England, Blagden, Rainbow Trout on Blagden Lake by Perk Perkins. England, Stockbridge, Brown Trout on the River Test. Florida, Permit off the Florida Keys by Sandy Moret. Iceland, Atlantic Salmon on the Laksha E. Adalal by Mike Fitzgerald Sr. and Mike Fitzgerald Jr. Idaho, Last Chance, Rainbow Trout on the Henry's Fork by Lori Ann Murphy. She's somebody I definitely want to talk to at some point. Idaho, Stanley, Cutthroat Trout on the Middle Fork of the Salmon River by Bryce Tedford. Kiribati, Giant Trevally off Christmas Island by Lance and Randall Kaufman. And if you follow... Um, Trevally Girl and Tim Pask. I know Tim's headed out there, I think, this week. So follow Tim on Instagram. Labrador. Brook Trout on the Woods River System by James Babb. Louisiana. Redfish around Cochodre by Sonny Mahan. Mexico. Sinaloa. Largemouth Bass on Lake Huites by Dwayne Dahlgren. Mexico. Yucatan. Snook off Boca Paya by Kathy Beck. Brown Trout on the Osable River, Michigan, by Robert Linsman. Mongolia, Taman in Mongolia, by Jeff Vermillion. Montana, Fort Smith, Brown and Rainbow Trout on the Bighorn River, by Barry Beck. Montana, Livingston, Rainbow Trout on Armstrong's Spring Creek, by George Anderson. New York, Rainbow Trout on the Upper Delaware River, Paul Weimer. New Zealand, Brown and Rainbow Trout on the South Island, Chris Daughters. Northern Territories, Northern Pike on Great Slave Lake or Great Slave Lake, Steve Probosco. Norway, Atlantic Salmon on the Alta River, Mike Fitzgerald Sr. Oregon, Glide, Steelhead on the North Umqua River. Oregon, Malpin, Red Sides and Steelhead on the Deschutes, Mark Bachman. Pennsylvania, Brown Trout on the Latorte Spring Run, Ed Shank. Quebec, Atlantic Salmon on the Grand Caspedia. Paul Guernsey, Russia, Kamchatka, Rainbow Trout on the Zupanova River by Guido Rar. Russia, Kola Peninsula, Atlantic Salmon on the Panoy by Tarkin Millington Drake. Scotland, Atlantic Salmon on the Rivers D and Tay by Arnie Balderson. Seychelles, Bonefish on St. Francois Lagoon, Joe Cod. Spain, Brown Trout around Perilejos de la Truchas. James Prosec. Utah, Brown and Rainbow Trout on the Green River, Brett Carlson. Vermont, 
Brown Trout on the Battenkill River by David Perkins. Virginia, Smallmouth Bass of the Shenandoah River, Harry Murray. Wyoming, Brown and Rainbow Trout on the Firehole River, Dan Callahan. Wyoming, in Montana, Brown and Rainbow Trout on the Madison River by Craig Matthews. And last but not least, Tigerfish on the Zambezi River, Larry Dahlberg. So that sums up the locations. And I first met uh, Conway at the Somerset Fly Fishing Show five years ago. And I thought, hey, this would be a cool guy to get on the podcast someday. And then I bumped into him at the Costa Del Mar party at ICAST IFTD in 2013 in Vegas. And, of course, I did not have a recorder. So I was able to get a hold of Conway because he's got this TV show coming out in a couple of days. And I thought it'd be an awesome story to tell and some pretty cool stuff going on in his story. So without further ado, let's talk with Conway Bowman. All right. So let's catch up with Conway. Uh, met Conway a couple times, never really had a, a microphone recorder with me. And now he's got his 50 places to fly fish before you die TV show coming out this weekend. So let's uh, catch up with you and, and see how things are going and find out what it took to accomplish this feat of knocking out a bucket list. Yeah, you know, it's weird. I I, I had no expectations whatsoever. It just kind of happened like 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 all the stuff that I seem to, to, to do in fishing, uh, whether it, it was guiding, whether it was TV shows or whatever, I just kind of kind of falls in my lap and and I'm very fortunate. I have been very fortunate and still am to, you know, get the opportunity to, I mean, to fish around the world on not only the 50 places projects, but also the other ones I've previously done. So, but yeah, 50 places, you know, it was based off of, uh, Chris Santella's book, book, 50 places to fly fish before you die. And Chris is a dear friend of mine and has been for years and years. So uh, that worked out really well. He was talking to a network about producing the show for a number of years. And, um, it finally, you know, came to be, and, um, I guess my name got into the mix for hosting. And I, I think that, uh, our relationship, me and Chris and the relationship I had with some of the people at the network, you know, it just worked out perfectly. It was a perfect storm and bing, bang, boom. I'm, uh, I'm shooting a new TV series. So, but, uh, yeah, it, it's been great. Well, if your name ever comes up again and you're busy, just send them, send them to me. I will. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. In fact, I've got a couple more projects, but you know, they, it, it's funny once you start doing all this stuff. Uh, and I guess if you have a, a kind of a proven track record, it's not only, you know, a good angler, but also somebody that can, that can sort of work with television and on camera and make it look natural. It seems like people start calling you to do stuff. So. But yeah, Rob, I'll keep you in mind. Um, maybe I'll be your agent. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Curtis Fleming said he would take me along to find him places to eat. Yeah, so, that's awesome. <laughs> you never know. All right, so how did how did this all get started? You were from Idaho. And where are we checking in with you? Where are you today? No, okay, so I'm from San Diego. So oh, I, you're from San Diego. I'm a third-generation San Diegan. And, but my father was a school teacher, so uh, each summer he had two and a half months off. And we had some friends friends, family friends that had a lodge in Idaho called the Redfish Lake Lodge right out of Stanley. And uh, we just decided that it would be a great place to spend the summer, especially me. You know, my dad kind of wanted to get me a, a away from a lot of my nefarious. That was that was the motive. Uh, but he, you know, he threw fishing in there and I was all over that. So um, from the time I was, boy, I think I was 
oh, I must have been seven or eight till I was about 16 or 17. We spent our summers in Stanley, Idaho. And we had a little place right up there on Redfish Lake. And I basically ran wild in the Sawtooth Mountains. And I fished, I fished some of the greatest trout waters that Idaho or the West um, has to offer before it was even, you know, considered to be, you know, a, a conservation area. Like I remember, I remember fishing Silver Creek with, uh, uh, with, with MEP spinners and things like that, you know, but, but still catching big fish. And I was fly fishing also, but my dad was more focused on the fly fishing because I was, I was a small kid. And, you know, some of those rivers are tough to wade. Silver Creek was problematic in that it was, you know, it was a really kind of a mushy bottom, but like the, uh, the salmon river was a big river. So most of my childhood fishing those big rivers in Idaho, I was spin fishing, but there were a lot of great little creeks around the Sawtooth mountains that, that I really developed my, my fly fishing chops. And so, and I think I, I picked up my first fly rod when I was four years old. I think that was the first time we went up to Idaho. Then we decided a couple of years later that we would start spending our summers up there, but it was great. So I had the best of both worlds, um, spending my summer in Idaho in the high mountains and then coming back to San Diego in the wintertime, uh, to not, you know, not only, you know, fish, but also just to, you know, live, you know, live a life on the water. So surfing and, uh, and diving and things like that. But it was, it was a wonderful, wonderful childhood. And, um, once again, fortunate to, to have been able to experience that. And Redfish Lake is called that because of the sockeyes that come all the way from the Pacific or that they used to. They used to. Yeah. Historically, they had the biggest sockeye run, I think, in the lower 48s that ran up the Salmon River via the Colombian, whatever. And uh, wow. I remember that this is really interesting. When I, The last year we were there. Well, actually, let me, let me retract. The first year we were there, they, they had a number of a, a pretty good sockeye salmon run. And I remember those fish getting up into the, into the, res, into the lake. And I mean, the, the, the one end of the lake was completely covered in like this red salmon everywhere. And, uh, from the time I saw that to the time I left, I think the last year we were there, only one fish returned. So we really saw that fishery decline very rapidly. But now from what I, and I haven't been back there and boy, I, I haven't been back there in geez, way, well over 25 years. I guess they're getting returns of sockeye now. They're starting to come back. So uh, but that was really interesting to see how that fishery really declined in, in my time, in my life. In just a number of years, it went, went, went downhill. So, But, you know, it was interesting. Um, they had uh, – we used to catch uh, a trout called Dolly Varden there. We'd call them Dolly Varden. They were huge, massive fish. And we'd catch them in the lake. We'd catch them up the creeks that dumped into the lake. But it was not until later on in life I, 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 I discovered those were actually bull trout. And I, I had some of the best bull trout fishing as a young man. I mean, massive fish, huge bull trout that would come up out of Redfish Lake up into these creeks. And, uh, you know, I'd basically jump shoot those things. They were all over the place. It was awesome. That's probably one of the Not most only on the fly, aggressive, but, but also, you know, on what's that? That's probably one of the most aggressive fish I've ever encountered. Oh, they're insane. You bull know, trout. It, this is a funny story. So, um, I was, I was on them. I had these things cornered in this Creek, uh, below this beaver pond. And I, I totally sandbagged my dad. I said, Hey dad, I was, I think I was probably eight or nine. I go, Hey dad, if I brought back a, a you know, a really big Dolly Varden, uh, would you mount it for me? He's like, yeah, whatever. You know, he's like, yeah, you know, thinking that I, I would not bring one over. And he said, well, it's gotta be over 10 pounds. I said, okay. So I went up and I, I got a, uh, I caught a, I think it was a 12 pound, 12 or 13 pound Dolly Varden. And I brought it back to our, our place. And I, 
knock on the door and I open it, open it, he opens up, my dad opens the door and there I am standing there with this giant Dolly Barton and he's like, oh man, I guess I'm going to have to mount. So ironically, that mount is still in my, he's 88 years old now. It's still going strong. And there it is. You walk into his office and there it is, that big Dolly Varden that, that I basically, as I said, I sandbagged him into it. You know, I, <laughs> I tricked him. But, uh, but th- those, those were great times and great experiences. And are you going to take your son up there? You know, my wife and Once I were talking. Older? Yeah, we're going we're gonna to try to do that. Maybe, uh, probably not this year, but, but the year after when we get a little break. And we're definitely going to take Max through uh, through my childhood, through Idaho. And we're going to drive. We're going to do everything my father and I did. We're going to revisit um, Redfish Lake, Bishop Creek, Stanley Creek, all these great places. We're going to take him over and just do, do the whole thing. Um, and I, I really can't wait to, to, see the, to see my childhood through his eyes. I think it'll be great. Hey, so speaking of childhoods, um, I saw a portion of Speed, Muscle, and Teeth during the film tour a couple years ago and it showed you as a kid hooking some bass and carp down in a, a river delta how did you go from just a recreational fisherman to becoming a guide oh um you know it's funny when i was in idaho um when we were spending our summers in idaho i was i was probably 10 or 11 at this point and my dad did a little bit of guiding up there you know he would do some guiding on you know silver creek or he would go to some of the smaller creeks <clears throat> Um, and, uh, one day he had a, he had a, a customer, a client call him that was referred to him, f- uh, through the lodge. And, uh, he said, uh, well, I can't take you up, but my kid can. The guy's like, oh, okay. Well, the guy shows up to, I think, he, I think he showed up to our, to our place. And the guy goes, who's the guy? And my dad goes right there. His name's Conway. He, he's like, wait a minute. That kid's like 10 or 11 years old. And my dad goes, no, believe me, like the kid's. Kill the on fish. So um, I remember the guy. He was he was a very he was a, a New York attorney, and a very New York had the very heavy accent, and he was great. He's awesome. I took him up to one of the garden holes where I had him pretty much cornered, and this guy caught a beautiful garden. And uh, we we after the day trip, we got some great pictures. I think they had polar polaroid for those things, but breaking up was, there. Oh, I am okay. They had pola, pola what? Polaroid cameras. You know, you take a picture, oh, and the those. and the uh, and the film would would come out the bottom. Anyway, so he took some some of these garden and guy ten or eleven year old with a with a you know kind of a head. We had a great time. So you know, I, I never, I I never really, I never. Really set out to be a guide, but it was sort of a natural progression. I would find myself not fishing, but, but more or less helping people and getting more joy out of, you know, watching people catch fish or kind of them through the processing. So from the, from the minute that you step on the line, working through certain aspect yeah, of you're, it. You're really breaking up right there. Oh, I, oh, I am. Shoot. Um, yeah. How's that? Is that, that better? sounds better now. Okay. It's when you're telling the story, it cuts out. I yeah. Mean, it's a normal, regular conversation, and it's That's good. Weird. Hold on a second. Let me see. I've got this earpiece in. It's going to sound like Max Hedrum. Right. How's that sound better? That sounds good. Okay, let's just go from there. So anyway, okay. so, so guiding um, was sort of a natural progression. It, the focus was really never on catching fish, but it was more about putting people on fish and having joy, watching them catch fish, and kind of explaining 
um, the process of fishing. So stepping in the water on the boat, why the fish do this, observation, you know, the barometer's doing this, the water temp's doing this, so the fish should be doing that. I was always more intrigued with that aspect. I mean, obviously catching fish is great, but the, the, the science behind fishing really, really, uh, really got me going. And it was, I was crazy. Or my, my mom thought I was nuts because I built a pond in my mom and dad's backyard when I was a kid and I raised fish. Sure did love that. Yeah. Well, my parents are very supportive on whatever I really wanted to do. And they're like, yeah, I'll go. I, you know, I'm like, I want to build a pond. They're like, okay. And I dug the whole thing in like a week. It was a fairly big pond and I, I planted lily pads and I went to a local reservoir and caught some bass and some catfish. And for about five years, that's what I love to do. I went down and I would look and observe those fish every day. Sort of a journal that I would write in. And I, I swear, my mom thought I was, was crazy. She, she's like, God, is he okay? You know, shouldn't he be out like playing basketball or something like, you know? But my dad's like, no, no, he just, he loves nature and he loves, you know, observation. And so, you know, so anyway, so that, 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 that's the joy I got out of guiding. And that's the joy that I still get out of guiding when I do guide, or even when I'm not guiding, if, if, if I'm just fishing with somebody, oftentimes I take the back of the boat or I take, I take a step back and let somebody else experience. And then if I can kind of help them along, you know, if they want it, if they don't, then I, I, I don't say anything, but yeah, I, that's what I love. And that's what I love, you know, uh, fishing with my wife, you know, she had never fished before she met me. And then her first fish was an 80 pound Mako on the fly. And then after that, she was totally into it. And, um, then, then I took her on a trout fishing trip to the Eastern Sierra on hot Creek. Uh, we were, you know, it's a beautiful spring Creek and she got into that. So, but I got so much joy out of that. I mean, it was great. And so it really wasn't cash observing, helping people, uh, you know the wonderful sort of fishing and fly fishing is fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish it's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home it's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever and with fishing booker you can experience it too no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Um, so from there, you eventually filmed the DVD, Speed, Muscle, and Teeth, and then you wrote the Orvis Guide to Beginning Saltwater Fly Fishing. How yeah. did you get hooked up with Orvis? Well, let's see. So Orvis, um, how did I get hooked up, hooked up with Orvis? I'm trying to think. You know, on the West Coast, Orvis was really never, they never really had a foothold. You know, they always, they always wanted some more credibility out here. And I always liked their product. I always thought it was great. And I, I had a good friend named Nick Kirchion, who's a, an icon in, in, in West Coast saltwater fly fishing. I mean, all saltwater fly fishing. And he he's and up I, in the Bay Area? He's actually in San Diego now. He moved back down here oh, about okay. a year ago. But yeah, he was in Los Angeles. He was in the Bay Area. But he, he, originally, he originated on the East Coast. Um, so he and I basically struck up a, a great friendship through me targeting mako sharks on the fly because he's one of the first guys to do that on the west coast many years ago probably back in the mid 70s and uh he you know he always you know he always uh, talked well of orvis and and i think he gave me a couple of rods or reels and i just i really liked the stuff you know and uh and i also looked at it as a brand you know a very iconic brand that um that i could you know have a relationship with and they were very 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 you know, graceful and very nice uh, when uh, when I wanted to kind of 
join the team. So, but it was weird, you know, on the West Coast, most guys, I know Orvis, you know, those guys, you know, you don't want to, you know, I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I, I like, I love the product and it, it works well for what I do. And uh, it's great. And so having a relationship with Orvis for a number of years, Tom Rosenbauer, the head of marketing there, who's an awesome guy and an awesome author and a great fly fisherman said, Hey, you want to write a book for us? I'm like, huh, what? Write a book. And I go, Hey man, you know, I've, I've never written a book, but, and he goes, no, nah, you can totally do it. I'm like, all right. So that's how that worked. And I just wrote a book, 101 tips on uh, beginning saltwater fly fishing. And uh, that was another great thing that Orvis brought to the table for me. I mean, they, they really said, you know, we're going to get behind you. We're going to have you author a book for us. I'm like, great. And so that's how it happened. It's a very basic book. Uh, I mean, it is the most simplest form of saltwater fly fishing in terms of the tips. I mean, it's like what I would teach my four-year-old, but that's good because it breaks things down very simply. And it's not so overwhelming, like so many things in fly fishing are or have been in the past, you know? Um, you know, and, and that's one thing when I was writing the book, I kind of went back through my guiding career and my, my sort of career up to that point in fly fishing and said, what do people really want? Do they want a really highfalutin kind of kind of heady kind of book on how to tie knots and you know how to do this and that? And, or do they want something that's very basic and very simple? And that's what I came up with. And it's it's proven to be a, a really successful formula for me. And I find that when when I read the book, or when I read the book, or when I wrote the book, my voice comes out. It's very simple. It's very you know, it's not overly complicated because I'm not overly complicated. I guess that's the other thing too. I'm I'm a pretty simple dude. And it just works for me, and I can convey, convey that message to the fly anglers or anybody else who who has the book or whatever. Okay, uh, let's move into the TV show now. Yeah. So uh, Chris wrote the book a couple years ago. I tried to get it from our local library just to refresh myself. Um, none of the libraries in, in Fairfax County had it. Jesus. So I had to go to Google books to get the table of contents which actually lists the 50 places right. um, so the book basically maps out where to go how did the book come to be a tv show well as i think i earlier i, I mentioned that chris had been talking right. to a couple of uh, a couple of networks and i'm talking this was five or six years ago and there was some interest in it but he found the right fit with wfn they said we like this we like the storyline we like we like that I, we like that the the theme is already the themes are built in already, so you're not creating a whole new television show with a treatment. It's already built in, so there was a good foundation, and then it just worked really well. I mean, everything fit into place. And Chris uh, has been an integral part in setting up the interviews with some of the icons in the book, uh, coordinating you know the 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 layout of of the trips and things like that. And the great thing is he's already been to these places and he knows the people. So it helps me to have that, that sort of insight prior to going to these destinations. So it makes it great. Rather than going into someplace cold you know, and not knowing what's going on, I have a good blueprint. So that's what the book is. And, um, and I, I think it, it's worked out really well. Did you actually go to all 50 destinations? Oh, no. Heck no. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> no, we've only went to 13. And if you ask me to ramble them off the top of my head, I won't be able to do it because it's just – I, you know, but – We've only done 13 so far, so we've got a, a number to go, uh, quite a few more to go, and uh, hopefully we get to all 50. I mean, that would be great. Um, yeah. But, you know, television's a weird, a weird thing. You know, it, we may not get to all 50 places because, you know, the network, you know, something else might come along. But my hope is that 
this is a brand that will continue on down the road to 50 places. And then at the end of the 50 places, that's it. I'm just going to go fishing <laughs> and not be on TV anymore. Yeah. So who flipped the bill? World Fishing and then sponsorship? Yeah. So it's all, World Fishing Network flipped the bill. So this is an original program. And networks typically have a couple of original programs that they do each year. So it's really great. Salesmen. Yep. And um, I can just show up and host a show and make, you know, get paid. And, and that's it. I don't have to go out and stump for, uh, for sponsorships like most fishing television shows. Most of the shows you see on the network, those guys are out humping every day. They're out on the phone and they're doing a lot of, a lot of hard, hard you know, hitting the pavement. I don't have to do that. And I'm, I'm very fortunate that I don't because I'm not good at it. If the show relied on me to sell advertising, I, you know, I, uh, you know, the show wouldn't go on because I'm not a great salesman. Um, I just, you know, it's just something I don't do. Some guys are really great at that. I just don't do it. So um, I'm fortunate that I just get to show up and host a show and get paid for it. So I'm an on-air talent. That's Awesome. Oh, dude, it's, it's insane. I talk to all kinds of guys that do TV shows. They're like, are you kidding me? You have that wow. gig? I'm like, yeah. And honestly, that's the gig I've always had. I've never had to go and get any, any sponsors. Now, because of my relationship in the business, I, bring, I can bring sponsors in. I just basically make a phone call, and then they talk to the network, and then they, they work out the terms. But I'm not, I'm not involved in any of the, you know, how much money is being passed here and there. All I know is I make this much. This, this amount of money, I show up, I host, because that's, that's what I do. I'm not a salesman. Do you have the same crew as your previous, like producers, sound people? Um, my wife has a term. Hold on a second. Alana, what do you call a person? A fixer? A, oh. a fixer, like the local person? Uh, not, no. Well, you sort of have a, have a contact. You know, you'll, like Chris Santella will call somebody who he knows in the area and they kind of coordinate stuff. But my crew is, is, uh, for this show, it's, uh, the show's produced by winter communications and they're a very, they're a, a very, very top notch, top rated production company who, uh, I worked with back in 2003 on in search of Flywater, the first TV show that I hosted. So I've kind of come full circle, but they're a, a premier production house. And uh, so basically, I work with the same crew every shoot. So basically, we have two cameramen, an on-field on producer, on-site producer, and then a sound guy. And so it's great because you get really great continuity when you work with the same guys every day. Now, I, I've worked on projects before where they have different cameramen every shoot. And that you know, the continuity oftentimes isn't there. But with a book like, with a show like 50 Places, you really have to stick to the to the sort of the narrative and the, you really have to have a producer that, that understands the flow of the show. If you tells the story, tells the story and, and, and it has to run through the entire series. There has to be a theme and a flow to that. And, you know, a lot of shows are just kind of, if you watch uh, any sort of, uh, you know, hunting or TV, fishing TV, sometimes the, there's not really a theme. It's more like they're very compartmentalized. Like, okay, this week we're going to catch a tarp, you know, and then next week we're going to catch carp, but they're like individual shows, right? This the fifty places. The theme runs it through the entire the entire uh, uh, series. So you need a producer and a production house can act, can actually keep that continuity going. And it's very difficult. I mean, it's tough to do. Um, you know, making TV is not like it, it, to do it right. You know, you ain't just going out there with a with a camera and shooting. I mean, it, it takes a lot. It really does. And that's why it's it's fairly co you know it's costly to do good TV. 
you know, um, and so hopefully what I see with World Fishing Network is they're really putting a lot of uh, a lot of effort behind, you know, their original programming and they're they're really, you know, they're 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 doing a nice job in terms of budgets to, to get the best product out there and giving us the time, the adequate time to do it and, and have a great writer write the show and have a great field producer and the cameramen are unbelievable. So it's, it's an awesome experience. What was the average length of filming per episode? How many days did you have to put in? God, you know, that, that's interesting. You know, th- this show has been a real tight schedule. Um, and it's been like, so we would do loops. Like for instance, we went to the Bahamas then we went to Key West and then we went to home assassin. That was all in a 10 day period. So, I mean, that's humping. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's because you have to get a lot of stuff in those 10 days. But the good thing about uh, this show is there's a lot, because there's already some, the book already builds in a lot of stuff. We didn't have to do a lot of, you know, we had to do some B roll stuff, but a lot of that stuff was already kind of in the can. So that was great. But 10 days is probably what, the average shoot is, and we try to get two to three episodes out of that. Now, I've been on shoots. I, 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 I when I hosted a, a fly fishing the world, um, we would do, we would do ten days for one shoot, you know. And and but those guys, but the cam, the production team had to go out and get all the pickup shots and everything. So there were th- two or three production days. There were the fishing days. Then there were my interview days, and so, you know, each each series I host is different. The production teams are different. But um, it's all been it's all been great. And so, you know, some is some shows are more difficult than others. You know, if I'm required to do stand ups, you know, get in front of a camera and read a cue card or, you know, I've got, uh, you know, three producers on the show saying, you know, and, and none of them can agree on anything, but they're firing all these questions at me and I'm on camera and I have to do this. and that. That's that's the difficult part for me. So if I can pull that off, I'm, I'm stoked because the other guys are going to handle everything else. And now you mentioned the book lays things out. So it, it tells you where to eat and where to stay. Yeah. You know, what shops so did you go to? You know, it says like, uh, you know, eat at this burger joint on this island and get the margarita. Did you follow sort of that? Some of those dictation? places, some of those places weren't even around when we got there. <laughs> so, but you know, we tried to do as much of that as possible. Um, but I, I think the, the the key thing was getting the the narrative down and then interviewing the icons. Like when I went to Latour, the Latour Spring Creek. Love you know, it there. I, I three hours with, from here. Yeah, I hung out with Ed Shank for three days. You know, it was unbelievable. A, a, a guy that I read about in my dad's library as a kid. You know, and I got to hang out with that man. It was it was a life changing experience. I got to hang out with Craig Matthews in West Yellowstone, uh, fishing eight the eight mile section on, on the Madison. And dude, that was a life changing experience. Uh, these are icons that I read about as a kid and really respect. And I got to spend time with them, not just hanging out on the river fishing. I got to sit down on the, on the banks of a river in a restaurant at a bar, having a beer and, and not even talk fishing, but talk, talk life and talk philosophy and, and, and kind of get insight into how those guys are. And it was wonderful. I mean, that, I mean, you just, you, you can't get that experience. You really can't. And that, but that, that's what that's what it's all about for me. I mean, the fishing's I love to fish, I love to catch fish. But boy, if you really can sit down with a guy like Ed Shank or Craig Matthews or any of those great guys. I mean, it's they'll change your life just on their perspective on life because of the space they live in, this wonderful fishing space that 
it might be a fishing space, but it, it's far reaching though. It goes way outside of that. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great, great thing. Yeah. Okay. So we were discussing a story with Craig Matthews about 1% for the planet. Right. So, um, so I guess Yvonne Chenard walked into his shop one day and said, Hey man, why aren't you selling like Patagonia waiters? Craig's like, I don't know. And so, but that sort of started this 1% for the planet thing. And that, that's sort of it, it in a nutshell. And, they, and I think Craig was doing something, doing 1% for the planet. And so was uh, Yvonne Chenard. And then they basically came together and that's how it happened. But that was just kind of interesting how, you know, Yvonne Chenard walks into a fly shop and says, hey, man, you know, uh, you know, why aren't you selling my waiters? And I think Craig didn't even know who in the heck he was. <laughs> you know? He just thought he was some, you know, fly fishing bum, you know, so. Um, but, uh yeah, you know, but a lot of the story, you know, it's funny. I, I, I just live in such the moment. A lot of times, I just forget the stories. You know, I just, I'm so intrigued with the, with the characters. Um, and you're drinking beers. That does, never helps. You know, helps. I'm drinking beers. We're, you know, we're just hanging out, and, um, you know, it's just what I get. The stories I get out of it is just sort of the experience with these with these people. You know, it's awesome. You know, and of course, if I if I got to sit down and think about it, I, I pull something out, and you know, it'll probably hit me at three o'clock this morning. Yeah. You know, tomorrow morning i'll wake up oh i should have said that told that story but um but i i think just the experience hanging out with these guys and and just you know i mean learning so much about not only fly fishing but these people and the history of our sport is it's wonderful okay uh let's see my next question i got the list here uh so you filmed tv shows before was it pretty easy just to jump into this role or did it get easier as you filmed before sort of got into a rhythm of filming the shows? Um, you know, it's, you know, once I, I've been doing it so long, it's pretty easy. It's just sort of a formula, you know, you, uh, you, it's, it, there's just certain things you do, you know, you show up, you know what you have to do. You have to get the fishing done first. And then after the fishing, all the other stuff comes, comes into play, like doing an interview, like a spine interview. You know, once you've done that a few times, you kind of get the hang of it. It's about being natural and getting the message across. But as I've progressed in, in hosting television shows, you know, I can I can work through this stuff pretty quickly. I can, you know, get through pretty much any situation in an interview. Uh, if I have a producer or director saying we need you to say this, I can do it very quickly. Uh, but, you know, it takes time. I mean, it's, you know, a lot of people say, oh, it'd be easy to do TV. Well, it really isn't. I mean, once you once the camera goes on, you have to look natural. And the other thing about fishing TV is you have to catch fish on TV. I mean, that's, you know, so when you're under the gun and you don't have any, you know, you've got no fish to the boat and it's three, you know, you got three days, you got no fish and all of a sudden you get one shot at a tarpon and there it comes. And guess what? You know, you're expected to catch that fish and you got to catch it. And so I, I've been very lucky in that. I, I've been successful at doing that as well. I've, uh, I've fished in some really adverse conditions. I was in, uh, I was in the Bahamas and the wind was blowing 30 knots every day. And, uh, the guys are like, man, you know, the guys were coming in every day going, man, good luck. There are fish out there, but you can't get to them. But, you know, I ended up catching a bunch of fish because I've been in that situation before. I've been in heavy wind situations. I knew what I had to do to, to, to make it happen and, and it happened. So, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, TV's TV. It's, it's a weird deal, man. It's like, you know, people are like, kind of you know you're you're jumping into somebody else's world all, all the time when they're looking at you on tv so but what i try to do is not even i don't even know the camera's on i just i kind of ignore it and i, I kind of go into my own little world 
And so, so in essence, it's sort of like a guide trip when I take somebody, somebody fishing, you know, I'm just, we're just fishing and I'm just talking to you. So, so other than meeting some of the, the big names, you know, that you, you grew up reading about, uh, off your bucket list, any of these destinations you'd never been to that you always, always wanted to. Oh yeah. The, the Latorte was, that was one. Absolutely. Just the storied. I mean, that, that was the history behind that place was awesome. So the Latorte Spring Creek. Um, home Sassa in Florida for those giant tarpon. That was a place I read about as a kid and just stepping on those boats and hanging out with those old guides down there. I mean, these guys are the real deal. These guys were, these, the guys that are remaining at home Sassa are like the toughest dudes you'll ever meet. I would never, ever want to meet any of those guys in a dark alley, man. They're tough. I mean, great guys, but, but I mean, really tough guys. Um, and so, yeah, just so stepping into all those historical places. I mean, um, but they're all, they're all great. I mean, they're all awesome. I'm trying to think of, a, of another great one that, where we fished. Um, I went to Bristol Bay. I had never been there. And that's a place I really wanted to go. And I got to spend a week at Bristol Bay. So. Um, You'd agree that putting the world's largest open pit mine there would be just the dumbest thing ever. Oh, it's insane. It's crazy. It's nutty. And I, I actually, I interviewed the, uh, I can't remember his name right now, but the, uh, a very pr- prominent politician, uh, a Republican who was, who's one of the only Republicans in Alaska to oppose the pebble mine. And he gave the most eloquent interview I've ever heard. I, I basically gave him a leading question and he talked for a half hour on, on why this cannot happen. And that episode should be, I think it's going to be in, uh, in the first five that they show it's unbelievable um but yeah i mean it's a stupid idea but yet alaska wants that to happen that's that that's what i got out of it you know they're they, they don't care they just want that to happen and so but those understand that. those those sort of stories yeah that's the kind of stuff that just blows you away but to to be there and actually be an active participant in that environment and those people it's pretty it's pretty it's pretty awesome any species of fish you were able to knock off your bucket list? Uh, let's see. Okay, I hooked a muskie. I, I hooked a giant muskie on the Shenandoah River, and I lost him right at the boat. So I, that's on my bucket list. I mean, I almost had him there, but... Um, that was with Colby and Brian? Yeah, man. God, I, I completely farmed that fish. But anyway, that's a whole other story, which is kind of cool, and I hope they show it because I was really upset. Um, but um, what, what else? Um, Let's see. I, 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 this season I, I've, I had caught most of the fish that I've, I, I, I had already caught the fish. So it was more, more or less the destination. Um, let's see. Yeah. You know, uh, just the destinations. Um, because I, I caught, I think I had previously caught all the fish except the muskie. So, but the, you know, the, 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 the boys, we fished the Shenandoah for smallmouth. That was insane. That was awesome. I had never done that in a river. That was great. Good sized fish, super aggressive, beautiful setting. Um, Did you drink part- some moonshine with them? Uh, we did a little drinking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, oh yeah. We hoisted a few ales. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but, uh, but the thing, what I remember about that trip is, is going to, uh, uh, is going to, um, Oh God, I'm just totally drawing a blank here. Um, oh, the battleground. What is it? Oh my God. Um, uh, Manassas. No, 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 no. Um, oh. the last stand, you know, where they had the, 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 uh, oh, 
God. Is Appomattox Courthouse? No, no, it's the big battlefield. Chan- Chancellorsville? Uh, no, 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 no. Um, gosh, darn it. Oh, boy. Viewers, I'm not, I'm, or, or listeners, I'm not this stupid. <laughs> out here in Virginia? Uh, yeah, I think it's in Virginia. Yeah. Um, what's the big battleground out there? Well, I mean, Bull Run is Manassas. No. Um, anyway, whatever. It, it was a great, it was, it was a great experience, and I, I'm drawing a blank right now. So, anyway. yeah, where I, where I live, used to be a Confederate camp because there were a bunch of springs here. Oh, interesting. Well, that was the yeah. crazy thing about the history back there. I didn't really, re- you know, coming from the West Coast, you read about it in history books, but. Man, you set foot on those grounds. It's like, whoa. I mean, it's like crazy. You know, you can feel just what happened there. And it's pretty, it's pretty spooky. And you look at all those old pictures and yeah, pretty wild. Well, my, my freshman year dorm was, um, if you've ever read the book Cold Mountain, the opening scene at uh, the Battle of Sunken Hill, where you had the Confederates yeah. on top and the North was on the bottom. My dorm was on the top. Oh, my God. And they just they hated the Irish. So there was the Irish Brigade. They just kept sending up in waves. And. I mean, there were you would hear things at night in the dorms that you just yeah, couldn't. Right. Yep. And yeah, things would, like toilets would flush, ceiling panels would just pop out, all yeah. sorts of creepy things. It, it's a I mean, it's a spooky it's place. It really is. The whole that whole area is haunted, and um, but yet really intriguing and really wonderful and beautiful. My God, one of the most beautiful places in the United States, if not in the world. It's it's really tremendous. So, what did you guys do with bad weather? Were you able to film? You guys uh, want clear days? Oh, uh, dude, we just filmed. We just went for it. You know, when you're when you're on a on a budget and you need to get yeah. stuff done, you just go out and you do it. That's like the Bahamas. Uh, Bahamas was tough. We caught fish. Got a good show. Uh, Key West was brutal. I mean, brutal weather. We still went out and fished and scratched up a couple fish. And then, you know, Homosassa was. We didn't even get a fish there. Weather was great, but the fish just weren't there. But yeah, you get bad weather. It's it, you know, you don't take a day off. You got to go do it. And uh, and, you know, I, I would, I would assume if we had a, you know, if you had a bigger budget or something, you could take a day off, but we just don't take days off and that's, that's fine. I mean, I I'll go out and hammer it out in, you know, whatever, unless it's like a lightning storm or something like that. But yeah, it's, you just go and you do it and see what you can get. Because the thing is oftentimes on those days, and I've experienced this where you think it's the worst, you go out and you get a lifetime fish, big fish, or you, you, you get that that great fish, but the experience leading up to that fish, you know, the the boat gets swamped, you get washed down the river or something, or you know, something like that. So you always go, you know. You don't know until you go. So you just gotta do it. So I'm assuming you're pretty damn good at packing lightly just the essentials for what you need for a trip. Oh yeah. How would you pack everything down? Do you have like a, a one big bag you, you know where everything goes? I've got, I've got one bag and I bring four rods, four reels. So it's one of those bags. It's got the, you know, you can store your rods in the bottom mm-hmm. and then I keep it real simple. I bring two pair of pants. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, We make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. You know, a couple of t-shirts, whatever fishing shirts I have. And you don't have to bring a lot of fishing. You know, 
So if I like, we need to get three episodes. I bring three different shirts that are different colors and then that's it. And then I bring a couple t-shirts and then, you know, I layer up with whatever, you know, the, you know, I, I'll have a, a raincoat, a base layer, and then, you know, some long johns or something like that. And then I'll just wash all my stuff like every other night or something. If I have to, I, I guys are amazed at how light I travel. They're like, are you kidding? You're going on a 15 day trip and that's all you got. I'm like, yeah, but that's what you learn you as you travel. Go to a science. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's so much easier. Then I then I have a carry like a backpack that I carry on a plane, you know, and I have a, my iPad in there and that's it. And, a, you know, and that's and the iPad's great. Cause it's got all my books on it that I want to read. All the magazines that I read are on there. And that's it, you know, so I'm really low profile. I'm just really like just real. I travel super light. So, but I see some of these guys bring all this stuff. I mean, they've got every they got three, three bags full of, you know, flies and rods. And oh, man, that's me. It's crazy. I, I I destroy things inadvertently, so I will bring, you know, just on steelhead trip, like ten pairs of fingertipless gloves. Oh yeah, yeah. I just because I don't know. I, I'm like a mobile fly shop. I used to do that too, and then I said, "What a pain in the ass!" You know, I just because exactly. then I would lose stuff, you know. And it's like, you know what? The less stuff I have, the less stuff I have to track down. So, um, but right now, I my bag is still packed from my last trip. It's just sitting in our in my office. Is you know. Everything's ready to go. You know, it's it's the same stuff. I'll wash it and throw it back in there. And I don't fold anything either. I just throw it in. I don't. I don't. You know, it's all no just roller. No hell no. I just I, I just dump it in there. It just who cares? You know, my wife's like, yeah, you look like a bum. I'm like, well, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> look like my wife says that about me every day. Right, exactly. And then I never... <laughs> she actually went to the gym, so she'd have to hear me talk fishing tonight. <laughs> I grew a beard. I grew a beard in Alaska. I mean, it was a gnarly old beard and god i came back and i walk in the house and my kid ran into his room <laughs> he because he didn't know who i was because I mean, it's gray I'm, I'm like santa claus i have a gray beard and i have a, like a black mustache and the rest of it's white and my wife's like oh my god you look like charles manson <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome <laughs> now is that the trip where the guy ran at you in a bear costume oh no that was the kodiak project that was our steelhead uh, movie we made a couple years ago yeah, it was. That was an awesome trip. Santello Go look for that on, on YouTube. Yeah, it's pretty. It was a wild trip. We caught so many steelhead that trip. It was great. Wild steelhead. Wild steelhead, man. And we timed it perfectly. We got there. Crappy weather. Fish hadn't moved up in the river, and so the the day after we got there, we go fishing, and I mean, it sucked. We're like, uh, you know, we're catching like all these dolly varden, which are great, but we were there to get the steelhead, and then mm-hmm. so this, uh, I think it was the last hour of that day a guy got the first steelhead and we're like, uh, it's on man. And the next day we went out and we just went full bendo all day long. It was like every run had steelhead in it. So we hit it just perfectly. They just, it just had moved up into this area and it was like, it was insane. It, I, it was just the most insane trip I've ever had. And plus the, the, the guys that we were with, I was with Chris Santella, Kirk Dieter, you know, we had, a, we had a film crew. I mean, it was awesome. You know, and it was just, it was, it was killer. So, uh, but he was just so busy all the time. I don't know how he has time to do anything. I know. I talked to him the other day. He's like, yeah, man, I go, I go, Katie, we got to go fishing again. He goes, yeah, we'll try to make that happen in 2015. I'm like, all right, whatever, you know, but he's a busy dude. And he, there's another guy that really has etched out a wonderful career in fly fishing, you know, and, um, he and I sort of, our careers kind of paralleled, you know, we kind of, we've kind of gone through the ranks. I mean, obviously he's in a, in a more prestigious position than I am, but, uh, yeah, it's great to see. And we talk about that. You know, we talk about all the guys that, that were kind of in this little click 
that it really that that I mean, I, I think about it. I I came from the furthest place from fly fishing than anybody. I mean, I'm, I'm in San Diego, California. I mean, I don't have you know. Yet I connected with all these guys like Kirk Dieter, and we've been great friends ever since. And and it's really it's helped it's helped my career for sure. You know, so yeah. it's wonderful. I've got a, a San Diego non sequitur. I was watching Burrito Paradise the other day. Right. And they had um, Lucha Libre burritos in San Diego. Yeah, I think. Do you I, know about that place? That I, think, awesome. I think I think they're in Hillcrest. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, San Diego is known for its Mexican food. And dude, it's the best Mexican food anywhere. I don't care what anybody says. And I've been to and Texas. Apparently, yeah. People say your weatherman has the easiest job in the world in San Diego. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's just the same every day. It is. I mean, like right now, okay, the scene I'm sitting right now and I'm looking at the ocean and it's the most beautiful sunset and there's not a breath of breath of wind at all. And it's like 75 degrees, you know, and all these people are like out running and walking their dogs and, you know, so it's crazy. Yeah. They're canceling school here tomorrow because it's going to be like 15 degrees Ugh. with wind Jeez. and wow. it's blowing the four inches of snow we got yesterday that crippled commutes. Oh, oh my God. It took my wife, I think an hour and a half, two hours to go eight miles to the Pentagon yesterday. Oh my Lord. Yeah. It's awful, man. That, that is awful. Yeah. I'm, you know, it, it, when it dips like into the forties here, we're like putting on our, you know, our big gown jackets and stuff. <laughs> we're a bunch of wimps. Um, okay. What was I going to ask next? Flies. So did you guys bring your own flies for this or did you use like the local kind of secret flies like, you know, honey bug on the yellow breeches or. Yeah. So, so like Latort and yellow breeches, man, I, I don't have the flies for that. So I just used, you know, what, what everybody else had. It was great. These very complex fly boxes that have all these compartments, just looking at those things. I'm like, Oh my God, you know? And the Pennsylvania guys wear those boxes on their chests. Yeah, well, that's what, out. that's what I'm talking about. Those, those yeah, it's, they're insane. Yeah, crazy. And so that's what I would do. And I, I never bring flies on any trip. I just go with what the local guy has. And I used to tie a lot, and I used to bring my vice. But I'm like, you know what? I just, you know, I don't really, you know, it's just, it, it's just too complex sometimes to to do that. Um, so yeah, I just rely on what what the local guys have used. And I've seen a lot of a lot of traveling anglers get into kind of a tough spot where they want to use their flies because they tied them and they, they read about it. And the guy's like, dude, that's not going to work. You know, you, you know, you read about that certain fly, but that's not working this year, you know, and the guy oh, I want. And so the guy, the, 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 uh, the angler ends up not catching as many fish because he's very stuck on, you know, using his flies. So, but I realized that early on, I'm like, well, you know what? I, I want to catch some fish. I'm just going to use the, uh, the guide's flies. <laughs> Any memorable patterns in their tires? Well, Ed Shank. So his, uh, he had a beetle, the Ed Shank beetle. Mm-hmm. Those are the Pretty guys awesome. that basically invented terrestrial fishing. Yeah. In like yeah, the 40s. exactly. That, and that's the, so that Pennsylvania trip there was really an insight into true like trout fishing and hatches and all that stuff. So hanging out with those guys was great, you know? Um, and then going to Homosassa, looking at how they fish those giant tarpon and how they tie their flies. It's really, really interesting. Like they, they tie in certain, like they want those tarpon to look up at the fly. So they're using, let's say, a toad pattern. But what they do is they take um, sort of uh, this double-sided adhesive tape and they, they cut a piece of foam out. 
and they put it right on top of the head of the, of the toad. So it floats really high in the water. And when you strip it, it makes this really interesting action. But, you know, and the guy's like, yeah, so this is what really works. I'm like, oh, my God. And so although I didn't catch any fish down there, I took those flies. I came home and I tied some of those flies. And I did exactly what they did. What they did, I took them down to Campeche and I outfished everybody in my group because of this fly, this, this toad fly with a float on top. It was insane. And it wasn't like the floating toad because it has totally different action. But so those little things are what I pick up from these trips. And, it's and a it, little bit of local knowledge. And that's it. And that's why, you know, just you learn so much and you can take those, <clears throat> you can take those little, those little tips and, and take them anywhere. And, and really be successful at catching fish. You know, if your rods, uh, specific brand, I mean, you helped develop some of the Orvis, re- was it the Mirage Reel maybe, or tested it yeah, so the Yeah, the Mirage Reel. I field tested that uh, for a number of years. So I use Mirage Reels. And I use the uh, the new uh, H2, the new H2 uh, um, Orvis rods. It's a magic, that they're, thing's a magic wand. They're an excellent rod. They're outstanding. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, I'm going to get a... I'm going to get the, a bunch of the recons that just came out. You know, I, uh, I haven't fished those, but I hear they're really great. And the price is awesome too, you know? Yeah. I want the seven foot 11 bass rod just for snakehead fishing off the boat. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. I mean, if I wasn't in the fly fishing industry, I, I'd have to like go full on economy, man. Cause I, you know, I don't, you know, I, mm-hmm. I would, I would just, I, I couldn't afford the, the H2, <laughs> but I'm, I'm fortunate that working with Orvis, you know, they give me a pretty good deal. So. What about leaders? Do you just wait for the locals to tie them up for you? Yeah. 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 Cause I don't want to mess it up. And so come being a guide, you realize that, uh, when people roll up on your boat and everything's all rigged, it's usually all totally wrong. So, yeah. you know, so you got to re-rig it and do all this. And it usually, you know, the guys get upset, but it's like, look, you know, so no, no, being a guide and knowing that so I just go, Hey, I, I walk on the boat or on the river, I go, just rig me up and I'll watch them do it. And I'll ask questions. You know, yeah, I'll have people show up at the ramp with like uh seven foot three weight with six X tippet to go snakehead fishing. Yeah. I'm like, the fly weighs more than yeah. that rod. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, so that's what I do. I'm, I'm just, yeah, you're the, you know, you're the guide. You show me what's going on and we'll just, my, I'll, I'll, I'll try to catch the fish. That's sort of like what I do. You know, I'm not going to razzle and dazzle the guide on how I can tie a bimini twist and all that stuff. Cause that's, you know, that's not sort of what my, you know, that's not my place. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, I know you, you did uh, Thailand for giant snakeheads. I did. You to, you know, who yeah. did the travel like permits and visas? Was that all World Fishing Network? No, that was through Sportsman's Channel, the other network I work for. So they handled okay. all that. Yeah. You know, and that was pretty complex. Um, and once we got all that done, you know, it was, it was an unbelievable trip. I mean, we were God, we were way deep in the jungle in this giant ra- lake, and it was crazy, man. It was nuts. But uh, you know, I had a, I had a spitting cobra almost jump into our canoe, and we almost got trampled by some elephants. It was, it was gnarly. Yeah, it was crazy. And uh, but I got a couple snakehead, which is great. I was really targeting the the Thai mashir, and man, I had a couple shots, but they were they were tough to catch. You know, fishing in the jungle is something. I mean, it's crazy. Because the canopy is so thick, you can't really make a cast. Even even a roll cast, these fish would spook because the water was gin clear and low. So it when was, everything in the jungle wants to eat you too, oh, it's man, like it was you're crazy. the prey. At the end of the day, I'd take my shirt off and I'd be covered in leeches. 
Yeah. Just, I mean, literally from head to toe. It's like, Jesus, you know, and then the spiders and I, you know, and just, uh, just the crazy stuff. It, it was a, it, you know, we had to sleep on the water in a hut because if, you know, if you're up on land, you're going to eat at night by a Bengal tiger or something. Jeez. Yeah, it was crazy. You know, but it was awesome. I remember in Amazon, you had to like hang your shoes up at night upside down. So scorpions would yeah. go in there. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's like, Oh, Oh, it's crazy. You know? So, but it was a great experience. It was really cool. So do you have to take a bunch of like anti-malarial and yellow fever and get a bunch of shots? Yeah. In your butt for- you know, I had those, I had that whole, all that stuff done a number of years ago. So I was still in compliance, but yeah, we had some, uh, was it Malarone or something just in case? Um, well, I went down to Argentina and we were in the uh, Salta region and that's like this, this epicenter of like malaria, I guess. And, uh, I didn't have any, I didn't have any of that stuff with me. So I'm like, Oh God, you know, but thank God we didn't, you know, I didn't get sick, but the guy that I was with actually got malaria the year before. So that tore him up pretty bad too. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm immune. Maybe I'm immune to malaria. Yeah. Sickle cell anemia will make you. My brother and I were just talking about that yesterday. Oh yeah. Uh, Sickle cell anemia and malaria. He used to travel all over the place. He was like a, Scuba diving instructor in Palau back in the, I don't know what he used to do. Now he's lives in suburbia. Yeah. He settled down a bit. Oh, well, we all have to do that. <laughs> yeah. Any, uh, any strange food or drinks you had to consume? Any, Oh yeah. Like geez. anything like Andrew Zimmern style. Oh wait. Yeah. That guy's that guy's nothing compared to what we ate, man. I, I, we ate some of the weirdest stuff. Um, let's see what was the most memorable thing I ate. <clears throat> well, it probably wasn't, it wasn't crazy. It wasn't. It was a sh- freshwater shrimp, right? But the thing came out of the most dirty water I've ever seen. It was like the sewer water, and they made ceviche out of it. And I'm like, uh, I gotta eat this. Where was this? In Thailand. So they're like, oh, the the acid from the yeah. ceviche broth will just kill yeah. all the. And I, you know, and I didn't want to offend the uh, our host, you know. So I ate it, and I'm like, I'm gonna die. And I never got sick. Never. I. And that's the other thing. On all these trips, I've never had any sort of sickness, you know, stomach problems, anything, which is amazing because, man, I, I've been in some gnarly places and, and really, you know, eaten some pretty gnarly stuff. But um, I've never been sick. So, you know, I'm crossing my fingers. But in Thailand, we went to this one, this fisherman's hut on this river. And he had this crazy, I don't know, it was some kind of liquor. It was like a, some, I don't know, it was like, it was, it was, it was red and it was, it was some sort of a uh, homemade like hard liquor and guy, we drank that stuff and I, I had like a shot glass of that. And literally I was like hallucinating. I, I had no idea where I was. I mean, the, the place was spinning around. It was the most crazy thing. And then right after that is when we were eating the shrimp. So it was kind of, you know, maybe that's why I ate the shrimp and maybe that's why I didn't get sick, but, um, but it was, it was cool. So the food and the drink on all these places where you go, I mean, it's, 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 it's really interesting, you know, experiencing all these other cultures and even in America, even in the U S I mean, there's little, little subcultures all over and, uh, you know, what they eat, what they drink, you know, it's, it's really cool just to hang out with the locals. Like in DC, we have this, it's called mumbo sauce, M U M B O. Hmm. And you, you kind of put it on like chicken wings and it's like this kind of red, sweet spice. You'll never see it anywhere else. It's just like a local DC carry Mumbo thing. sauce. Mumbo, yeah. Hey, do you guys get sriracha sauce back there? 
Oh yeah. Okay, because that, that, that that's a that's a that was a Southern California in thing. our house, and you know I was I don't know where I was somewhere on the East Coast, and I'm like, whoa, check it out, and they had it there. So, um, but that was I guess that would be our equivalent to mumbo sauce, although sriracha has gone big time now. So, yeah, and especially you know they my wife was worried that the they were going to shut it yeah. down because the pepper yeah. fumes. So my wife was getting ready to stockpile. Oh, we did. She's like you. Oh, we went, they actually did shut production down for like two weeks. And my wife went out and bought like, oh, I don't know, maybe 20 bottles of this stuff. <laughs> but we, I go through, I go when through I was, that like crazy though. It's, I put it on everything. When I was up on the Salmon River, New York, I came back. So my wife doesn't want like antiques and stuff, whatever normal women want. She wants hot sauce and craft beer. Wow. Sounds like my wife. So they have, <laughs> yeah, dinosaur brand barbecue wow. sauce. Wow. And dinosaur brand hot sauce. You just can't get them down here. You can get some, but oh my oh, that's gosh. that's awesome. She's like, you spent 80 bucks at the grocery store? I was like, yeah. On hot sauce and beer. <laughs> Stockpile that. Yeah, pretty much. I know. My wife, she'll come home. Hey, there's a great new microbrew for you, honey. Hey, but she's pregnant now, so she's, we're going to have another kid. So she can't like oh, experience, uh, you know, what. but she'll always seek out the great microbrews in San Diego. And I guess San Diego is known as a microbrew. So craft brew, I guess, is what you call it now, hub. So she goes out and she'll find that stuff for me. But yeah, hot sauce and, and, and craft beer, Whew, man, that's living right there. Right, be- right before my wife found out she was pregnant, she was in Seattle and brought back a bomber of Elysian jasmine tea-infused IPA. Oh, my God. And then the next day she found out she was pregnant. So it sat there for nine months in the fridge. Oh. And the day that the baby came home, she's like, we're drinking it. <laughs> that's awesome. She, she looked at that bottle for nine oh, months. God bless her. <laughs> I would have, I would have drank it. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> so was it difficult being away from, from the family or do you get used to that? I, it's always difficult. I'm a homebody, man. I love being home with my kid and my wife and I like to serve. So it's tough, but I'll tell you, Skype is great because I just basically can Skype on my iPad pretty much anywhere. So I get to connect with my wife and kid every day. Uh, pretty much every day. You know, there's some places they don't have service, but in general, yeah, it's great. But it's tough, you know. It's always great to come back home. Um, but I've got a great wife. I mean, she really understands that this is my passion and uh, has never given me any heat over any of my traveling because she gets it. You know, she understands. So, um, you know, and I tell you, she shoulders a lot of a lot of stuff. You know, raising when I'm gone, you know, she's got. Well, when I was, I was doing. Let's see. From the day, see, Max was born in 2010, and that's when my uh, fly fishing the World Series started. So that's when Max was born. So I, she's been pretty much during the fishing season, during summer, she's been a kind of a single mom. And uh, but she's great though. She's like she takes some surfing, you know. She does all the stuff that 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 he does that I do. So it's no big deal, you know. Um, so, but ironically, our our second one is due here in May as well. So that's when my filming really kicks in. So she'll uh, she'll be a single mom again for a couple of months. <laughs> Do you ever bring a surfboard with you? Nah, you know I don't because uh, the only place I've been where there's decent surf was on Christmas Island, but it was a huge pain. Uh, cur- you know, Kiribati. Cur- What's up? Yeah, Kiribati. Yep. How do you? Right. And it was uh, God. The surf was insane, and nobody was out. But you know, just just getting a board over there was a huge pain. So yeah, I don't. You know, maybe if it's a good setup. And it's not a big problem. And there's actually days that I can surf. I'll do it. But you know, on on some of the on some of the shows in the past, 
I've surfed. I just get a board. You know, somebody's got a board in the neighborhood. I'll just go take it out. So you were in Oahu. Maybe you posted some awesome sunset. Yeah. When was it? Waikiki. It was a couple years ago, I think. Um, yeah, and I think we were surfing there. We were surfing there. Um, I've surfed on main, mainland Mexico, Baja. I've done that for a TV show. Where else have I surfed? Did I surf like? No, I didn't surf like Michigan. That's one thing I wanted to do, but it just wasn't happening. So, so. but um, yeah. So if I get the opportunity, yeah, I'd, I'd love to do it. But it's it's more you know when I'm on the road, it's it's all about fishing. Were there any spots you'd be like, yeah, I just don't want to come here again? Uh, let's see. Not really. I mean, I'm one of those guys that, dude, I'll, I'll fish in a bucket. If there's a fish there, I, you know, I don't really care. Because there's something interesting no matter where you go. It doesn't matter. And there's always interesting people. You know, it's all how, how you frame it. You know, you could go in and say, oh, the fishing sucks and the people are, you know, weird or whatever. But, hey, I love it. You know, there, there's always, there's always something interesting if you're willing to open up your mind. And as I said, it's how you frame each trip and that's how I, that's how I do it. So there's not one place that I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go back. I, I, I would not go back to because <clears throat> in all these places I've really, um, I've, I've developed some really great friendships, um, that kind of reach all the, the they hit the whole gamut, the whole social, social economic gamut. From the guy weaving the basket, you know, in Thailand to the very high end, you know, tarpon freak who fishes, you know, 50 days, 100 days out of the year for tarpon. And he's worth a billion dollars, you know, and I've got to sit and eat and drink and fish with these people and experience it. So, yeah, it's great. And so I frame each of those individually. It's like there's something great, you know, but I think that's I imagine sitting down. You know, like that scene in Indiana Jones where it's like monkey brains and beetles. Yeah. Where you sit down at some big table with people and they're like, but well, this is what we eat here. Yeah. <laughs> you just got to smile and eat it. Yeah, totally. You know, so, you know, I don't go into places all tripped out about stuff. I just go do it, you know, and it's great. And I've always been kind of easy going like that. I don't, you know, I, I don't get rattled in airports. I don't get rattled on, you know, public transportation. I just go and what, you know, wherever I go, I, I just, and whoever I meet, it's, 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 it's a good flow. But that's sort of how my life, how I like to live my life. You know, just no expectations. Just go with the flow and see what happens. Yeah. Um, are you going to be at Somerset this year? I'm not, you know, I'm not going to doing any of those shows this year because, you know, because Michelle being pregnant, I got to stick around and kind of help out. We're, we got to, you know, we, we've got to buy, we got to buy a house. And so there's a lot of stuff going on right now that we, I need to stick close to home. So, but it's great though. I mean, it's awesome. I'm, I, I'm not even, I'm not even scheduled to travel till I think the end of February. So this is a good family time, man. Hanging out, surfing every day, just, you know, loving life and ha- having a good time and, and just, you know, loving my family and just, you know, just connecting with people that I don't, I don't really get to get to connect to during the fishing season. Now, do you find that there's that Zen like thing that people talk about, I guess, you know, watching point break once a year, um, is that similar to like, you know, what, what we get with fishing, just being out there and just the sound of the water, the casting, the rhythm? Absolutely. Yeah. Surfing and fly fishing or fishing in general really parallel each other and more specifically fly fishing because it's about the process. It's about the headspace you're in. It's, you know, it's very cerebral. You know, it's it, both sports are like that. 
Um, I mean, you could go the full on hardcore competition surfing and just like, you know, you can get on a, the world fly fishing team and, you know, chase the points and, and whatever, whatever that is. But, or there's the, the soul surfing part of it or the soul fishing part where you just go out and you do it, you know, it's the process. Uh, and that's, that, that's where I like to be. Um, I, I just, I, I like to do that. Now, that being said, I, I do like the competition aspect of it when you're fly fishing for like carp. Because the carp is a goofy fish anyway, and nobody cares about them. So it's a good fish to compete, you know, for. Because it's fun. You know, there's no rules or expectations, really. I mean, anybody who fly fishes for carp, I mean, the, the, you know, people think that you got to screw loose anyway. So go for it. So, but I think in general, just the two sports parallel surfing and fly fishing very well. And you, you, go, you go to very similar destinations. All right. Yeah, similar destinations. Usually, hopefully, pristine, clean. Yeah. And maybe not. <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, I'll, we'll be fishing the sewage outflow. It's so cold this week. The Potomac River temperature is plummeting. So all the fish are going to be swimming up to the sewage yeah. outflows, which are in the 60s. And Yeah, I mean, I, I was out there last week. Just you know, I filled up a 30-gallon trash bag in five minutes, which is the litter out there. Yeah, man. Bust out the turd fly. That's what we fish carp. Yeah. <laughs> we fish carp on a thing called the turd fly. <laughs> well, that's the joke is why they eat all the corn that the Koreans use is because the <laughs> corn comes out of there. Oh, ouch. <laughs> there, we, we did a, a movie in the film tour a couple years ago, and I, I was quoted as saying that Arlington County's number two is my number one source of income. <laughs> Which that's that's where I guide all winter is the sewage outflow. Oh my God, that's great! I love it. We we should do an episode with you. <laughs> yeah, and then the one the DC one is. I mean, the one in in Arlington actually smells like laundry detergent. There's like a buffer in the oh, air, God. but the one in DC is just oh, just you can't put enough buffs over your oh nose. Oh my God, smelling salts. But you look. Yeah, you look down and you'll see a school of like 84-pound goldfish. Oh, my God. And 60-pound carp. You think they're nurse sharks coming in like 10 and 20 at a time. And then you realize those are carp. That sounds awesome. Wow. We were out there the day after Christmas in T-shirts. It was in like the 60s. I got to come out there and do that with it. That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I'm, I'm out of questions. Yeah, and you know what? My, I want to keep talking. My kid's coming home from daycare right now. He's pulling up in the driveway. Wow. So. Uh, yeah, so uh, TV show starts this, this Saturday. The, the, Sunday? Uh, the, the, Saturday? No, what's the 11th? It's, uh, it's Sunday, Sunday the 11th, 11th, and they're going to play the heck out of it. I think it airs like five times, six times a week. Uh, and uh, go to uh, worldfishingnetwork.com and uh, check out the airing times. And it's going to be a tremendous show. It's well done. Winter Communications has done a wonderful job. WFN, I mean, they've, they've done a great job and put a lot of effort behind it. So hopefully – um, my effort kind of equals their effort <laughs> and, and we'll get a good show out of it. I know I, I, I really had a great time with, with a lot of, a lot of the, the characters that I fished with on the show. So I think that being said, and if they captured some of those wonderful moments, like with the Tro boys, um, uh, and with Ed and with Craig Matthews and a, a number of the other guys, I, I think people will really be entertained. And, uh, I really didn't hold anything back either. I was just kind of me, you know, so I was just me and hopefully people like that. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you so much. And, uh, we'll have to catch up after the next, yeah. next bout of film. Yeah. What we'll do is I'll, in, in, I'll get back in contact about doing doing an episode. Cause I'm doing a show for Ford trucks as well. So, and 
And so we could do something very interesting on urban fishing or whatever. Or what? But I'll call you and we'll talk about it. It'd be great. Sounds good. All right, Rob. All right. Hey. Have fun and, and enjoy that weather. Oh, I am. Me. I'm looking right now. Most beautiful sunset I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> See right. you. See you later. Bye bye. Take care. Bye. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. (laughs) Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss life on the water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. (laughs) The destination for outdoor entertainment. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Four in the morning. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew here at Duck Camp Dinners every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Birds up in the sky.